The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a fantasy NBA dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Bauer, joined as always by my co-host, Travis Fuller. How we doing, Rhett? I've, I went and did it. Lost taste. I got a fever. You so got I, it. I think I got it for the first time, but you know what? No better time to quarantine than uh, since some Vegas summer league right now. So not complaining whatsoever. And in the middle of a 30-team draft that we're currently sitting here <laughs> watching the draft room just drag by that counter countdown so slowly. Um, but yeah, I hope you're feeling all right. It's never fun. I had it a couple weeks ago, and boy, that just takes a lot out of you. Not, I'm actually not feeling too bad and actually really excited for our episode today to break down some of this uh, free agency action and, and some of the moves that we saw. I know it's taken us a while to kind of get to this, but... It's actually kind of worked out because a lot of these moves didn't become official or some of these guys were signing somewhat later than we thought they would. There's been a lot happening with free agency, so we're splitting it up. We're doing the Eastern Conference today. Before we get started, want to have all of you go give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts from. I checked iTunes before we got on here. We're up to 15 reviews or ratings, and so we're we're moving on up almost to 20 for the mailbag. I know we had 14 last time, so it's only one more, but still, it is more. So thank you guys for going out and doing that. Like I said, next time we get to 20, uh, we'll do another mailbag. So in the Eastern Conference... Atlanta Hawks, first and foremost, they extended Trey Young to the rookie max extension, which was a no-brainer. They did that immediately. What they didn't do immediately was retain John Collins for the five for 120. Reportedly, during the season, he turned down five for 90, I believe. So they retained him. They're two core players, which is just fantastic. They brought back Solomon Hill and Lou Williams, which is also just fine, good bench pieces. And then they traded Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando with a 2023 second for DeLon Wright. What are your thoughts on Atlanta's offseason, what it means moving forward? Yeah, I think Atlanta did exactly what they set out to do and extending Trey. The bringing back John Collins does have a ripple effect with the rest of that roster. Uh, drafting Jalen Johnson, we thought, you know, there's a chance that Jalen Johnson has an immediate role for playing time. Uh, but that looks to be squashed a little bit with Collins coming back. But overall, I think that the biggest takeaway for me was just no trades for those wings. And, and that's something we've talked about before They're And they're just flush with wing players, a lot of talented wing players. I just don't know how they're going to be able to fit them all into the rotation. I guess it's, it's a good problem to have. That's for sure. And we talked about it on the draft recap, too. They had Jalen Johnson, which is yet another wing. They are definitely ripe for a consolidation trade. I feel like every team is darn near ripe for a consolidation trade, which makes it very difficult for any of them to pull that off. But it does seem like they need to make some moves to clear up some minutes. But as far as backup point guard goes, it's not good for fantasy because DeLon Wright has been on bad teams recently where he's been able to get some a month or two stretch of 30 minutes a game and end up inside the top 100. But I think he's in a good spot for Atlanta as a team, just maybe not as much for fantasy with what we would want from him with the rebounds, assistance steals. 
Yeah, the tough part with Wright, too, with where he landed is he's not getting an opportunity to play off the ball whatsoever because they have so many wings, you know, having Bogdan and Herder and Reddish. He's pretty much going to be a straight backup to Trey. So I, that's pretty much the only path to minutes that I see is, is 18 to 20 minutes a night just as a straight backup point guard. Which is fine. I would hope that you haven't invested so heavily in, into DeLon Wright that you're real beat up about it. But in those deeper leagues, DeLon Wright being that impressive for such a short stretch really matters to some teams. Collins' value to me doesn't change whatsoever. No. I, no. I mean, he, he could have gone anywhere and his value would have stayed pretty much the same to me, the type of player that he is. I think it could have gone up in like San Antonio or something where he would have just gotten as many shots as possible. But he gets fed a lot of looks from Trey Young. So look for that pairing to continue being towards the top of the Eastern Conference for at least the next five years or so with those two under contract for that long. So next is the Boston Celtics. They had quite a busy offseason early and then really slowed down as of late. We already talked about the Kemba for Al Horford and Moses Brown trade, and then they traded Moses Brown for Josh Richardson. They traded Tristan Thompson to Sacramento for Chris Dunn, Fernando, and the 23rd second from Atlanta. And then they lost Simi Ojale and Evan Fournier in free agency. So altogether, out is Fournier, Kemba, Tristan Thompson, and Simi Ojale. In is Horford, Jay Rich, Dunn, Fernando. And then they did sign Enos Cantor and Dennis Schroeder. So when we initially broke down the Kemba-Horford trade, it was a hesitation about Robert Williams's role coming in because Brad Stevens made that move to get Moses Brown here because it didn't seem like he trusted Time Lord. And so while it could be considered linear to be sending out Tristan Thompson and bringing in Cantor and then flipping Moses Brown immediately, I do think Time Lord will continue. He won't get the boom of minutes that we were expecting, or some people were building into their rankings heading into this season. We don't expect the minutes to, to increase compared to what he did last year, but he was still a really good player in limited minutes. And we'd mentioned that before where he's a top 100 player and he only needed 20, what 19, 19 minutes to do that last year. So again, this year he, he doesn't need a ton of minutes to be extremely valuable to your team. So he's not someone I'm, moving down on my rankings whatsoever. I was a little bit concerned when they did make that trade to get Horford, mainly because they brought in Moses Brown and, and it made you freeze and you weren't really sure how that rotation was going to shape up. I'm not concerned with Cantor being there at all. So I, I think he's going to get good minutes as the backup there. You're looking at probably another 20 to 22 minutes per game for him, which he's a top 100 player with those minutes. So not too bad for him and, and somebody that, I was a little bit concerned with, but not so much anymore. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Josh Richardson steps into the Fournier role a little bit, way less scoring, I think, especially now with Schroeder there. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to ask you, do you think Schroeder starts or is he their sixth man off the bench? It would make sense to me to keep Marcus Smart in the six-man role that he's been in. But at the same time, they just extended Marcus Smart for four years for $70 million or something like that. And they brought in Dennis Schroeder for $5 million. So the money, the money talks there. They're definitely far more invested in Smart than what they are in Schroeder. So Schroeder probably coming off the bench. Smart steps up. But all the moves, it's pretty much a one-for-one for the rotation. Schroeder or Smart stepping into Kemba. Jay Rich stepping into Fournier. Cantor stepping in for TT, and then you've just got Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando who are just on the roster. Pretty lateral all across the board. Doesn't highly impact anybody. I'd say the one guy for me that got impacted and a player that I really liked what I saw last year was Peyton Pritchard. I thought he could get some good minutes this year because they were really weak at the point guard position. So I saw a lot of Pritchard smart in that backcourt there with whenever Richardson was out or, or just... Richard being able to play the backup point guard role. I assume Schroeder's probably going to take those minutes now, which is a little bit disappointing because when Pritchard got the opportunity, he he looked like a guy that could knock down some threes, get you a few assists and uh, a, a decent defensive player as well. He does take a bit of a hit, especially with Chris Dunn in there. So just have to be on the lookout for that. Next up is Brooklyn. The biggest move they did this offseason was extend Kevin Durant. Just absolutely massive to get that commitment from him and from the organization. They are in it to win it. And anybody who was a Houston Rockets fan squinting and hoping that you could get some good Brooklyn picks, that is completely out the window. So they retained Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin. They signed DeAndre Bimbry, and then they traded Dinwiddie to the Wizards for a 2024 second and the right to swap 2025 first round draft picks. I like it. Overall, out Dinwiddie, Shamit, Jeff Green, in Javon Carter, Patty Mills, James Johnson. I think this was great. I think Patty Mills is going to have a really big role. I think James Johnson steps into the Jeff Green role and should get a decent amount of minutes. And we've seen good things from James Johnson when he gets a decent amount of minutes. And we know that those players on on the Nets are not going to be healthy. So guys like Bruce Brown, Patty Mills, James Johnson are going to be called on to have bigger roles every once in a while. It'll be really interesting to see how this rotation shakes out after the the big three that they have, because they also had what four draft picks in this year's draft. So they, they have a lot of young guys yeah. as well that can step in and help uh, a guy like Cameron Thomas, who can really uh, score some points off the bench for him. So it'll be really interesting how everything kind of shakes out for him. Um, a few guys I liked the, the re-sign was um, Bruce Brown. I know he he just took the one year. I think he took the qualifying offer. Um, but a guy that I think is really important to their team and someone that can play a little bit everywhere, uh, two through four. So he he's a good fit with them and somebody that I, I'm glad that stayed. Absolutely. They just need guys like that who can just play ball and he bet on himself. Can't really fault him for that. Moving on to Charlotte, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk and Cody Zeller went out. Ish Smith, Kelly Oubre, and Miles Plumlee came in on top of their draft picks, James Booknight and Kai Jones, we already talked about. This is interesting because they brought in another wing, and he's a wing wing. He's not a Malik Monk wing where he's a two that plays the three. 
Kelly Oubre is a legit wing. Do you think the signals a move from them with PJ Washington or Miles Bridges at some point? I don't think so. I think they, they were just able to get Oubre for such a good price, a good number for the type of player that he can be and what he brings. So I think it was, it was just a no-brainer for them to bring him in and add, add the depth to that team. He can play a little bit of the shooting guard as well. So he really has a nice role of being able to come in and, and play uh, backup small forward or backup shooting guard for them on a team that obviously lost a, a good portion of their backcourt last year. So I, I see him playing a lot of shooting guard for that team, uh, as well as Book Knight, him, him and Book Knight kind of flip-flopping there of his second unit. Another rotation that has just a bunch of guys, Plumlee and Zeller are pretty much a wash, gives gives them, I don't know if Plumlee's going to start. Zeller started some last year, but P.J. Washington's probably just going to play the five and then have Kai Jones sprinkled in there. Your Chicago Bulls had a massive offseason. Um, Sadoransky, Thad, Garrett Temple, Daniel Tice, and probably Laurie Markinen on the way out. Javante Green, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, and Tony Bradley in. That's a whole lot of shots and ball handling that came in relative to what you guys had last year. Just a huge change in the complexion of this entire team. And it really affects everybody, in, in my opinion. I, I love the Lonzo sign, but then we, we ended up getting Damar as well, which I also love, but that hurts Lonzo's value and it hurts Damar's value a little bit, in my opinion. Not a lot because they're both good enough players in other areas to compensate for, for scoring. So it's not where a lot of their value comes, but just having to share the ball a little bit. You know, when, when, the, when the Bulls signed Lonzo, I really thought, okay, this guy – He's going he's gonna to be given the keys to this offense. I could see him averaging 8 to 10 assists. Not so much anymore with DeMar being there. No, definitely not. Lonzo is probably one of the bigger losers of free agency relative to what we thought. If it was just Lonzo to the Bulls, like you said, like, oh, him and Levine transition, Vooch trailing, like that's going to be awesome. And maybe that is how they play is fast enough to where Lonzo can get those assist numbers. But in the half court, it's going to be DeMar's show and – that's just going to be what it is, not to mention how many other guards that the Bulls brought in. So DeMar's value stays probably about the same. He's put up plenty of top 50, top 60 seasons with higher usage guys. I don't expect him to be impacted that much. Caruso probably isn't going to play as much as he was playing on the Lakers. And a guy that I think who lost a lot of value is Kobe White towards the end of the year last year, and actually just most of last year was getting a, a lot of ball handling duties, was getting a lot of minutes, obviously because the Bulls just had no solution at point guard. He's a guy that's definitely lost some value. If he's not getting you assists, if he's just mainly a scorer off the bench, he's not going to give you stocks, and he's going to tank your field goal percentage as well. So somebody that, in my opinion, lost a lot, and I'm going to move down my rankings accordingly. That's a great point. Kobe definitely took a huge hit with all the guards that they brought in. So you just have to be a little bit patient with him and hope that he gets moved or hope that he can carve himself out enough of a role to stay in developing. Moving on to the Cleveland Cavaliers had a pretty straightforward offseason. They traded Taurine Prince for Ricky Rubio 
And then they signed Jared Allen to be the sixth highest paid center in the league. <laughs> the $100 million um, man in the middle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Obviously, their draft was their biggest acquisition probably because they got Evan Mobley at three. This is a pretty good move for Cleveland. I, I like them having a ball handler in Rubio. He was coming off the bench in Minnesota anyways. So he'll continue to do that in Cleveland. It takes some of the responsibility off Sexton and Garland when they get staggered just to have another potential ball handler out there. Does Torin Prince going out change the math for Larry Nance or anybody like that? It definitely helps. It helps that grouping that they were already pretty stacked at by adding Mobley, already having Nance, having Love, uh, Okoro, all those guys there on the wing. It, it helps kind of free up a little bit of the logjam that they had at that uh, power forward position. So that's very good. And I love the Rubio ad, personally. I, they got two really young guards. I think a, a player like Rubio to come off the bench uh, can really teach these guys, teach Carlin and, and make him better and, and just kind of mentor him. Uh, Rubio's not going to get big minutes, but he's a guy that can be really productive and useful for our, our teams with the steals and assists that he provides. So great landing spot for Rubio, and I look for him to get some quality minutes off the bench. Moving on to the Detroit Pistons, whose, again, biggest acquisition came through the draft with Cade Cunningham. But as far as free agency and trades, they moved Mason Plumley to the Charlotte Hornets, and Wayne Ellington went elsewhere. They retained Saban Lee, Frank Jackson, and Corey Joseph, and then they signed Kelly Olynyk. After the Plumley move, I had a lot of people in my mentions talking about how much I hated beef stew, and that's not necessarily true. And then they signed Kelly Olynyk, and it was kind of funny to to see people reel back their beef stew top fifty takes as far as dynasty value goes, but Olenek and these two can play together, right? Yes. But I don't think that's going to be their ideal lineup. Both of them being on the court together, just because I think Jeremy Grant is such a great four on that team. That's just a great spot for him to play, but they definitely will play together. Olenek and Stewart, they'll get some time together. Olenek just brings a little bit different dimension to this team. His ability to kind of do the pick and pop, shoot the three ball, uh, while Stewart's more of a defensive hustle alley-oop type player. So um, it, they de- they both complement each other well. They'll both get minutes. But like you said, for those thinking Stewart was going to get 30-plus minutes a game, be a top 50 player, I think we just need to hold, you know, temper those expectations just a little bit. And at the same time, I really like this move for Olenek, a guy that ended the season with the Rockets just on a tear. Anybody that owns him, you know exactly what we're talking about because the guy was a league winner last year. And this is a good landing spot for him. I, you know, I wasn't sure what kind of minutes he'd get, if he was going to be a backup, a starter, what, what have you. So he's on a Pistons team that, that can use him. They obviously wanted him. They, they traded to get him. So good landing spot for a Linux. He's going to have some, some decent minutes at the four and the five and, and provide some quality value for our teams. It's just like what we talked about when we were talking about Memphis's draft and how having Kyle Anderson, just somebody who can play basketball and be a steady presence matters. I think Olenek is going to provide that for the Pistons in a couple different ways, being able to shoot, being able to score, defend, be just be a versatile player. And 
fit whatever they need him to be, which is worth paying for, apparently. Moving on to my Indiana Pacers, who were relatively quiet so far. Doug McDermott went down to San Antonio on a deal that the Pacers had no chance of matching because they didn't have the cap space for it. TJ McConnell stays. Edmund Sumner, they picked up his team option for one more year. And then Torrey Craig came in for two years for $10 million. Aaron Holiday, also out. Forgot about him. That was a draft night discussion, but still matters for rotation. TJ McConnell will not have the same fantasy impact he did last year because the Pacers' actual biggest transaction this summer was hiring Rick Carlisle, which changes so much of their team. They won't be playing the same defensive scheme, which mattered so much to TJ McConnell. They won't be playing guys such heavy minutes, which matters a lot for TJ McConnell. And then it just changes so much. So TJ being invested in by the Pacers is a good thing for his dynasty value. He's old enough to where it may not matter that much, but it does kind of matter. Yeah, he's the, I mean, he's the big story here as far as free agency goes for the Pacers was being able to bring him back. It was, it was a good move. I like the move to bring him back. Obviously, I don't think he's going to get over 25 minutes a game again this year, or at least you hope not. That's if that is if the that, case. No, you got, you got injuries, injury issues, if that is the case. Or your wow. team is just not trying to be very good because <laughs> TJ McC- I love TJ McConnell, but he should not be getting 27 minutes a game in the NBA for a good team. But then again, he doesn't even really need to. If, if you bump him down to 20, 21 minutes, he can still provide you with five assists and over a steal. And, and that is very valuable in itself. So don't just go write him off just because he may not be getting that 24, 26 minutes a game like he did last year. TJ McConnell in his career, when he's gotten around 20 minutes a game has been around that five, four to five assist mark and right at that one steal mark. So the value is still there, especially now that he has a shot that he can go to in the mid range and keep that field goal percentage up. Everything else, the volume is just so low. It doesn't even really matter. So, and maybe somebody you can sell high on given that he re-signed with the Pacers and maybe you can, maybe you can talk somebody in that doesn't know the Pacers very well, that he's going to have a very similar role to last year. Edmund Sumner is a pretty, I shouldn't say a big winner because there's a lot of guys in that guard rotation, not to mention Chris Duarte just coming in, but them picking up his team option is obviously good. Edmund Sumner is a good player. I just don't know if he's going to have fantasy relevance outside of 30 team leagues where you're just looking for warm bodies that get minutes. So Torrey Craig, none of the Pacers guys, myself included, have any idea where he's going to fit in the rotation. It's very possible that he's the backup three uh, taking a lot of Doug McDermott's minutes, but he's not going to be used in the same way because he's not near the level of movement shooter, though he is better defensively. So Torrey Craig, probably somebody best left alone, unless he starts seeing 26 minutes a game, uh, just locking up that backup small forward spot moving on to Miami who had a very, very busy off season first and foremost, extending Jimmy Butler for four for $184 million, which is a whole heck of a lot of money. They also signed and traded Kyle Lowry without tampering at all uh, and did so sending out Goran Dragic and precious Achua. And then they also lost Trevor Ariza Bielitsa, Nunn, and Andre Iguodala to free agency, but they retained Victor Oladipo, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, and Dwayne Dedman, and brought in P.J. Tucker and Markeith Morris. 
<sighs> that is a whole new rotation. Yeah, lots of moving parts there, but all for the better for the Heat. Obviously, they had a really good run in the bubble there and didn't meet expectations last year. So they decided to reconfigure, gave Jimmy a big deal that he definitely deserves, and they're going to go for it again. And for for us, I mean, if you're a Lowry owner, you, you knew he was going to get moved. You just didn't know where. And I don't think his value is really that affected. Anywhere he was going to land, I didn't think it was going to be too, too effective because he was going to go somewhere that really needed a point guard. For me, I think Jimmy, if anybody, it's it's Jimmy's value that might get affected just a little bit as far as his assists go. But he's such a good player that they can coexist, no problem. And then P.J. Tucker at the four there, he's never really had much value to me whatsoever. A guy can, He can get 32 minutes a game and only take two shots. So not a guy that's going to really affect your dynasty team too much. Right. And then not only that, but Victor Oladipo staying put, not going to be healthy for the start of the season, might have to be out until November, December, I believe I read. His dynasty value is absolutely in the tank. I might even consider him a slight buy low. Just if you're a contending team and you've got somebody at the end of your bench that you've just been holding to try and make a move being able to get Oladipo now and try to hold him and hope that he can come back. That might be in the cards for some of you just depends on your risk tolerance and what you think he's going to come back at, but he's definitely not coming back to the Indiana team where he was the man. He's going to be the fourth option, maybe fifth option in that starting lineup when they're healthy. So just something to consider there with him. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on the trade that brought Lowry in sending Tragic and Precious Achua out. Is there anybody that you thought wins from that? Obviously, bringing Lowry in to secure that point guard spot. Kendrick Nunn's gone. There's really nobody that loses there with him coming in. But with Precious, I mean, he was a young guy that got some quality minutes in a in a front court that Miami is somewhat lacking in. Omer Yurt Seven, my man, <laughs> summer league champ, MVP so far, most likely. Uh, super deep league guy. They signed him for two years, I believe, not that long ago after having two 20 and 10 games in the summer league. He's going to be their third big right now. Like, it's just, it's it's pretty ridiculous looking at. No, I don't think there was a massive change. Um, Dwayne Dedman staying put after the playoff run that he had helping them out is a big deal. I, I don't expect your seven to be Hassan Whiteside in 2015, where he goes from G League to coming in and, and being a top 30 player. But you mentioned it, none is gone. So bringing in Lowry doesn't make a difference there. So I, I don't think there's a big change for anybody in that move. I just don't see a ton of depth. They kind of consolidated a little bit and, and trade the death. Now the Heat are great at developing and, and always able to find players. So I'm sure they'll figure it out along the way. But we might see these starters play some pretty heavy minutes throughout the season, which is which is great for everybody. Except that most of them are old, which could have some injury <laughs> ramifications. So they're a very, very interesting team to watch. Moving on to the NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks. They had a relatively quiet offseason. Surprisingly, P.J. Tucker did leave Milwaukee for the Miami Heat. Bryn Forbes returned to San Antonio as well. But the Bucks retained Bobby Portis, brought in Simi Ojale, George Hill, and Grayson Allen, which I don't hate. 
George Hill was pretty good for them a couple of years ago when Bledsoe wasn't. So losing Tucker is going to hurt quite a bit. Simi Ojale is no PJ Tucker. No, not at all. And I know that was kind of a shock to see him go. But what was even more of a shock to me was seeing Bobby Portis stay. And that was that number too. Yes, exactly. A a great price for Milwaukee to retain him. A really good player off the bench. And I think he's going to have the exact same role he had last year off the bench where he was really effective. And he's still pretty young. What is he? 26, I believe. Yeah, a player, a player that's definitely younger than you think he is. He's been in the league. He's been around a while. So uh, a guy I really like, I'm glad he stayed there and he's going to have a similar role that he did last year. I really like them retaining him. I thought for sure that he would be gone getting a bag, but he's a loyal guy and I'm, I'm glad that they, they were able to stay on the same page. Does this change Dante DiVincenzo at all with them bringing in George Hill and Grayson Allen, especially coming off that injury? The Grayson Allen trade does leave a little bit of concern about DiVincenzo. They just wanted a little bit more depth and somebody that can fill that role if DiVincenzo isn't ready to take 30 minutes on again every game, at least early on in the season. That's what I believe they brought him in because bringing Allen in put them over the the tax there. So it was definitely a move where they're they're all in, they're ready to go and, and try and repeat. And I like it for Grayson Allen that You know, Memphis was really crowded at the two and at the three, and he wasn't going to get many minutes there anyway. So at least here he has the opportunity to to maybe start to at least get some solid backup minutes. So it's good. It's good for him. It could just be DiVincenzo insurance more than anything, just to give him the opportunity to ramp up, maybe not so much take his spot in the rotation. Next is the New York Knicks, who had a pretty eventful free agency with all of the cap space that they had. They didn't quite get the stars that they wanted, but they retained a lot of their guys and brought in a couple new ones that are pretty dynamic players. So Reggie Bullock is out. He went to Dallas. Alex Burks, Derek Rose, and Nerlens Noel stayed for more money than what I thought they would get in all three cases for the most part. And then Evan Fournier and lately Kemba Walker also joined the New York Knicks. This has got to hurt Randall and Barrett, right? Just on usage alone. I wasn't too concerned with either of them throughout this whole offseason. Obviously, they were re-signing the players that brought them to the fourth seed in the East last year. Adding Fournier wasn't too big of an issue either because he's you know more of that role player, outside shooter. But then they went and got Kemba, which they needed a point guard. So it's a great move for the Knicks, in my opinion. But just adding Kemba alone absolutely hurts Barrett and I think hurts Randall as well, just because Randall's usage was so high. And really, it was Randall that was running the offense in the half court. Exactly. And it doesn't change Barrett's evaluation very much because we know that he kind of has a long ways to go to be an extreme relevant fantasy player. And he's so young that he can still get there. Randall was... We've talked about it enough, I think, about how usage and minutes driven he was, and I just didn't see that continuing. And now here we are looking at a team where it definitely won't be continuing. I want to see what Mitchell Robinson's role looks like next year and what that means for Nerlens Noel, because they paid him quite a bit. They paid Nerlens quite a bit, and Robinson isn't exactly a staple of health, and he's also coming up on his deal, so... I know Nerlens is 27. I know you make fun of me all the time because I love Nerlens Noel, <laughs> but 
I mean, I'm glad that he stayed in New York. I would have liked him to go to Charlotte, something like that, just somewhere he could have had a clear role of potentially getting more minutes rather than being a clear backup to Mitchell Robinson. But I kind of like it for Nerlens. Yeah, I think as soon as he signed that deal, I messaged you and I said, you got to love that because I didn't see him going to any team and being a starter. No. And two, two things stood out to me. One, Tibbs obviously really likes him. And secondly, Mitchell Robinson, you know, we've seen he, he has issues with injury, he has issues with fouls sometimes. And they paid Nerland's quality money to be a backup. For three setup. years? Yes, for a, a position that isn't very valued. He got paid very well. So they're obviously going to use him. He's going to have a role off the bench. To me, I think Robinson and, and Nerland's just split time. I think they'll both get around, you know, 22, 24 minutes a game evenly. And they'll just, they'll just play it like that. But we'll see. I could definitely see you no know, Nerlens even taking over a little bit more and playing more minutes. It just depends on on how Mitchell Robinson progresses in his skill set. It does, and we didn't talk very much about Fournier or Kemba. I think both of them right now are pretty known quantities. They're going to be what they are. But the biggest question for Kemba is health and that knee and how many games he's playing, and and what his role in the games looks like. They brought back Burks and Rose. They have Randall and Barrett that showed they could handle the ball and run the offense. So maybe maybe they don't run Kimba that much. Maybe they try to stretch him out and keep him fresh. And 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 that allows Barrett and Randall to continue having the load that they did last year to try and maintain that elite fantasy relevance on Randall's part and then obviously developmental opportunity for Barrett. But when Kemba's in the game, Kemba's going to have the ball. Like, and that's a bummer for all you Barrett and Randall owners. And and if you own quickly, don't be too discouraged as well. I know no. that might seem like a little bit of a setback. Them retaining Rose, adding Kemba, drafting Quentin Grimes. You're you're kind of like, well, what's going to happen with quickly here? I wouldn't be too concerned. I still think quickly is going to have a role. He's a combo guard, so he can play either position there, which is going to get some minutes for him. But we know Kimba has knee issues, and we know both of those point guards, Kimba and Rose, are both over 30. They both had some health issues in the past. So I would quickly is definitely still a hole. Don't sell him low. And quickly's a good enough player to be in the rotation. We saw that. So they didn't make any of these moves to take his minutes, take his opportunity to push him down into the rotation. It just might change his usage profile a little bit while Kimba and Fournier are healthy. But Fournier and Bullock, that's just a little bit more playmaking, but should be a similar amount of shots. Moving on to Orlando, the Magic. They, Otto Porter Jr. signed with Golden State, so he's out, but they brought in Robin Lopez and his infamous hook shot. And then the Wagner brothers, staying put, staying together down in Orlando. This has no change on any sort of fantasy dynasty impact at all. No, not really. The, the biggest thing with Orlando is just what the heck are they going to do in the backcourt? And that's pretty much the the story for them is what they're going to do with all those guys. The The Robin Lopez signing was a little bit puzzling to me. I, I wasn't sure why they brought him in because it's, it's not like they brought him in on a on a vet men or anything like that. Uh, I believe they gave him yeah a five, a $5 million deal, which is kind of interesting for I don't know if it, you think that's just insurance for injury. I, I you know, I, I thought this team isn't making the playoffs, right? They're they're a super young team. No. Let's let's <laughs> give let's give Wendell Carter and let's give Mobamba 
some minutes or let them split the time. I don't want to see Robin Lopez in there. But as you mentioned in the past, too, it you do need to have these these guys, these veterans that have been around a while to to kind of show some leadership and and teach these younger guys as well. It's also just interesting when you see teams that have almost all of their core already on the roster on very small deals. So they just have to spend money somewhere. And Robin Lopez is a pretty good vet. He can be useful in games. And Woodlow Carter and Mobamba aren't exactly the most durable players. So it could just be that injury insurance on a guy who is just solid. Like he's not good. He's not great. He's not going to do anything for fantasy, but he's just a good vet to have on the roster for such a young team that knows what it is and knows that they're not going to be good. They can give Robin Lopez $5 million a year. Moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers who sent out Ben sent. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they <laughs> they Dwight Howard returned back to Los Angeles after returning back to Los Angeles, deleting the tweet and then signing with Philly last summer. Um, so that was fun. The Sixers retained Danny Green and Furkan Korkmaz on value deals, I thought. And then they also brought in Andre Drummond on a one-year deal. And we were talking about this before we started recording. I kind of like this for Drummond, honestly. Yeah, I absolutely hated it when he signed. I thought, oh man, his value is just gone. Well, I also think we had expectations that he might still get a starting job somewhere. Right, exactly. So in that but, context, yes, it sucked. But at the same time, if you consider a backup location, pretty good. Yep. And then, yep, exactly. That's the more I thought about it. I thought, man, that's a, a really great spot. So obviously Embiid, when healthy, is going to get 30 plus minutes a night, which means Drummond stuck playing 16 to 18 minutes. But we, we also know Embiid is not going to play 82 games this year. I would, I mean, that should be our my bookie bet today is that Embiid is not going to play 82 games, which means Drummond is going to get a starter's workload on possibly 10 to 20 games this year. And we know Drummond is a permanent monster. He doesn't need a ton of minutes to be really effective. And when he does get those minutes as a starter, he's a top 40 player. So, and even higher in, in the punt free throw punt three builds, which you need to have him if you are in one of those builds. So a really great spot for him. It's just a one-year deal, so he can maybe build some of his value back up and, and try and find a better deal next year. You mentioned the minutes. Andre Drummond played 24 minutes or so with the Lakers. Probably a little high for what he's going to get on Philly, but just to give you a ballpark, 53% from the field, 61% from the line. You know what you're getting there. 10 boards, 12 points. 1.1 steals, one block. That is a useful player, especially when we know what Joel Embiid is as an injury risk. And if he ended up going down for any stretch, Andre Drummond can win you weeks when you need them if you've got him handcuffed with Embiid. I think we may have swung too far the other direction on Drummond about this is disaster. And it's not great, but he's still 27. Obviously, the NBA doesn't think he's good, but if he can show that he can play a role on a team, I think that still has a lot of value, not to mention what he can do if he's given a bigger share of the minutes. Moving on, Toronto, they went in a 
not surprising direction. We knew it was coming. They traded Kyle Lowry. They brought in Precious Achua and Goran Dragic. Then they retained Gary Trent and Kim Birch. Goran Dragic is not going to be on the Toronto Raptors for very long, is he? I don't think so. I, I believe they're already meeting with him and seeing where they can flip him to. I, I don't think he wants to be there. I don't think the Raptors really need him to be there. I, I think they'd rather play their youth and give their young guys an opportunity. Uh, but the player I really like that they got, and I trust that Toronto can develop him and are going to give him playing time, and that's Precious Achiwa. I think if you're a Precious Achiwa owner, you have to be extremely happy that he's uh, out from underneath the the wing of, of Bam and Miami Heat, and he's in Toronto where he's he's going to get opportunity off the bench. He's going to be part of that second unit. Not to mention, if you're going to go from a developmental system in Miami, you really can't complain about going to the developmental system in Toronto. So with the direction that Toronto's going and the bigs they have on their roster with Boucher, Kim Birch, and that's it. Those are the bigs. So Precious <laughs> should get plenty of opportunity. Really excited to see what he does and to see the direction that this team takes with Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, Malachi Flynn, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi. That's just going to be a very, very interesting group. I'm, I'm excited to see them develop all of these guys at once. Last and definitely not least, the Washington Wizards, who had a heck of an offseason, probably the biggest move we've had so far, sent out Russell Westbrook and also sent out Ish Smith, Alex Lynn, and Robin Lopez in separate free agent signings. But they brought in... Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell Pope, and then separately, well, I guess it was in the same five-team deal, so never mind, Aaron Holiday and Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, they also retained Haul Neto. Boy, they've got a lot of guys in the roster now. Lots of guys, lots of depth. I'd be shocked if they carry all these guys come the start of the regular season. I'm not even we'll sure see. they can. I don't yeah, know. I, I need to look at the roster spots. I mean, I've already been see- we've been seeing Harrell. Montrose Harrell being floated around everywhere. So I'd be really shocked if they kept all these guys. But all of a sudden, the Wizards are a team with some decent depth, some decent pro players. And maybe, maybe they can figure it out throughout the year now that they have some depth and they can maybe get over some of their injury issues that they've had in the past. But I mean, I I like a lot of their moves. Obviously, the big winner is is Spencer Dinwiddie, a, a guy that was has been pretty much a six man his entire career. Now he's going to take that point guard role that has yielded some really good results in the past uh, that uh, the Wizards point guard. So good for him. I was kind of saddened to see that Aaron holiday wasn't going to get that starter workload, but it's all good. I I'm, I'm still holding that hope that he can be a part of that rotation, even after the NATO signing. So you mentioned that the Washington Wizard point guard situation has been good for fantasy. That's because it's been John Wall and Russell Westbrook. That has nothing to do with the Washington <laughs> Wizard point guard situation being beneficial. They, they rely on their backcourt for scoring. Is they all. do. That is very true. And if you're expecting Spencer Dinwiddie to score, that's great. But that's also really the only thing he's going to do that's going to positively impact your fantasy team other than assists. Because... The narrative about Spencer Dinwiddie has kind of gone way too far to him being some sort of top 100 or whatever fantasy player because he's just not. He's not good at percentages. He scored 20 points a game in his best season, almost two threes, three and a half rebounds, 6.8 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.3 blocks, 42% and 78% 
in 31 minutes a game. And he was 154th, like on 29% usage with the Brooklyn Nets. That is not good. You have to be in a specific situation for that to be enough on your team where you can accept just barely positive contributions and points and threes and positive contributions and assists. But where he's being drafted and where he's being valued does not match up with what he actually produces for your team. No, not at all. That's a great point. In our 30-team startup that we're doing, he went 98th. And I'd be really Yikes. surprised. I'd be really surprised if he cracked the top 100 at, you know, at the end of the season. So just because his, what the things that he does good are definitely negated by the things that he doesn't do well. So I, I don't see him cracking the top 100, but that's apparently where he's being valued at is, is right around that range. A, a really quality player in certain builds. Obviously he can, he can be a really good player if you're punting field goal, but yeah, somebody you don't want to be reaching for too much just because he is getting that starting role and going to get big minutes. It's kind of concerning to see how much people are hyping him up when he's just not been very good for fantasy. But what do you think about the wings with, I think we kind of talked about it, Kyle Kuzma, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdija, Davis Bertans in there a little bit. Contavious Caldwell Pope in there a little bit. That's it's going to be a minutes share, a timeshare, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to do anything credibly positive. Yeah, all of a sudden it's it's certainly crowded for the Wizards' wings win at when I just two years ago or even just last year they had really none. It was it was really getting thirty <laughs> plus minutes a game because because they literally had nobody else. So now all of a sudden they they got some decent guys that. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think KCP starts. I think they brought him in to be a, a player that has like a winning mentality, a really good defender. I see him starting, which really only leaves the power forward spot for Rui Kuzma to kind of share, uh, which which isn't great for any of those guys. Now, I know they can move down to the three as well if need be, but you also got Avdiha. I, it's... It'll be like I said. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I don't see all these guys on the roster at the start of the season, so we'll see who's still there. Without a doubt, I feel like there's so many moves yet to be made. Most notably, Ben Simmons, but there's still a lot of teams that feel incomplete, and that might carry over into the start of the season, but. If it does, we'll be here to break it on down. Be sure to check out part two of this where we go over the Western Conference free agency reactions. Sorry, this was a little bit long. We had uh, 15 teams to get to and want to make sure we talk about most things that are relevant. If you feel like we missed something, please let us know on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer or at Travis underscore Fuller 92. We would love to hear from you and hear what your thoughts are on your team and the players on it that have been impacted by free agency if you haven't checked out our draft thoughts there's two episodes on that as well had a really great time breaking down the lottery but then also the rest of the first round with a couple second round flyers and be sure to check out everything over at hoop-ball.com thank you for checking in we'll talk to you guys later
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.